There's been something really beautiful about resiliency moments actually caring for artists at the same time. So it's the artists leading the moment for healthcare workers. But from the feedback, the artists are just garnering so much from being the one to create the space for, for others. Hello, and welcome to Art Restart, where we explore how artists are reinventing their fields and building a new landscape for the arts. I'm Piercarlo Talenti, the producer and editor of this podcast, brought to you by the Keenan Institute for the Arts at the University of North Carolina School of the Arts. In this episode, we'll be getting to know Tara Rinders. Tara is a dancer, choreographer, and video artist based in Denver, Colorado. She's also a full-time registered nurse with over 15 years of experience. In 2016, she combined her passions for dance and for compassionate caregiving by creating The Clinic. The Clinic offers nurses and healthcare workers immersive artistic experiences designed to combat compassion fatigue and professional burnout and to foster stronger connections between nurses, patients, and communities. Among the projects Tara has developed are resiliency moments, one-on-one virtual and intimate interactions between individual artists and healthcare workers in which art is made and grief and trauma begin to be healed. When I first contacted Tara to arrange our interview, she invited me to take part in a resiliency moment, and I happily took her up on her offer. I won't go into the details of what I experienced during this series of short online encounters, but I will say that afterward, I definitely felt more joyous, more aware of my inherent creativity, and perhaps most importantly, especially in this year of COVID isolation, I felt completely seen and appreciated. It was a very special experience, and I'm so glad I got to have it. Both the medical and artistic worlds have recognized Tara's work. She received Colorado's highest level of nursing recognition in 2019 when she was awarded the Nightingale Luminary Award. And she's also received numerous arts grants, including a Blade of Grass Fellowship to support her work melding the arts with science. I started our interview by asking Tara how she attended to her own resiliency as she was coming up as a young artist. For me, the dance and movement have always been my resiliency and um, space for me to feel and feel supported. So I think in many ways, we're actually, I believe that we're all resilient. We're born resilient human beings. That's just part of our makeup. And yet there are times when we fall out of that resilient zone. And that's when we um, lean on other things such as dance, movement, family, support, community, whatever it may be. So for me specifically, it would be dance. I grew up dancing from a very young age, and that proved to be my safe space where I can feel my feelings. And how did you decide to become an RN in along your process of becoming an artist? You know, I growing up, I wasn't necessarily encouraged or I didn't even know it was an option to be an artist as um, my career and a dancer. And I I knew growing up that um, I had friends who did it, but it just in my mind, it wasn't ever really laid out as an option. And so I always had this idea that I'm, I'm a dancer. I know I'm a dancer. I know I'm an artist and I'll always be that. But at the same time, my mother taught me at a very young age that I would have to really be able to, to make my own money and be able to stand on my own financially. And so um, I didn't think that was possible through the arts. 
And um, so I always was thinking, what else could I do? And I really loved caring for people when people were sick and nurturing um, them. And one of my favorite things is being present with someone when in their most difficult times, just because it's a very real sacred experience to be alongside someone in that journey. And so I felt nursing really encapsulated that whole experience for me. So it didn't feel as you went to nursing school, it didn't feel like you were turning your back on your artistry at all, did it? No, never. I danced the whole time. I've always I've always been one to incorporate and collaborate and bring worlds together that maybe at first don't seem like they fit. But for me, it was always really important to have this sense of wholeness and not feeling um, separated into, into different things. So I, I danced and created and choreographed all throughout nursing school. And what was your mission as a dancer choreographer? What was your mission as an artist? I really didn't have a mission. I think mm-hmm. it was to stay alive. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, I think that um, it was a survival for me. Like I said, it was my resiliency. So, you know, through all the things in life that gets thrown at us, it was, yeah, it, it, there really wasn't an option to not be an artist or a dancer for me. It always felt like that. It was kind of who I was in my core. So how did you can describe how you arrived at this this fundamental belief that you have that the world of nursing could benefit from an injection of art and performance? I think because art and performance really makes sense to me. It's where I feel I really feel things deeply and and so when I I actually was a patient for the first time um and I had an ectopic pregnancy that had burst and I was um rushed to emergency surgery. But before that, I had passed out. And I just remember that whole experience being a patient of really watching everything and being on the other end of care. So watching the way nurses treated me and my body and the physicians and the, you know, when my physician sat down to to talk to me and came face to face, I just remember really appreciating. So I, I was experiencing this, you know, ectopic pregnancy, but also watching it from afar and taking it in from a new view that I had never had before. I had, but not to this extent where it was so um, scary. And so in, in the midst of my room, when I passed out, the nurse called a code yellow, which is the code you call before a code blue when you um, stop breathing. And so it's kind of like a, a precursor, like help, you know, we're going down the wrong path here. So everybody runs into my room and I'm passed out. And I just remember being so scared. So you were at work when this happened? I wasn't. I drove myself uh-huh. to the hospital. I found out that morning I was pregnant. And um, then that evening I had a, just so much pain. And I, I had six-month-year-old twins at the time. And so that whole situation in itself was crazy. And then mm-hmm. we couldn't wake up our babies because they were sleeping. So I just drove to the hospital. And so I was there and I was, and it all started to really unravel really quickly. And you know, in the midst of all of it, kind of, again, like I said, watching it from this third eye view almost, and then experiencing it. I remember being passed out, everybody running in, them hanging blood and putting my head down and my feet up so that essential organs would get what they needed. And and then the nurse, she grabbed my hand and she said, I'm here and you're going to be okay. 
And at first I didn't really want to hold her hand. I was just really trying to be strong. And it's like, I don't need that. And then I relaxed into her hand. And I remember just thanking her, like really in, in a deep way in my mind. Like I remember saying, thank you for being, for remembering me because I'm so scared and, and I couldn't speak myself. And so that moment, I really believe in moments, just like we've created resiliency moments, that moments can really shift things. And that shifted it for me to feel seen by my nurse in that way, even though I was completely passed out. So that's when I knew, like, I didn't realize as a nurse how impactful I could be in so many situations because you forget. And so I wanted to just help nurses remember how important they are and valuable they are to our patients. So how did you go about developing the clinic, which is now kind of a multi-pronged program, right? It's got a lot of aspects to it. How did you work that out? And how did you get healthcare workers to buy into it? Well, I think the first thing, so this was in 2016 when I had this experience. And then in two, and then I knew I needed to raise awareness around it first. So I first did this you know, experience with nurse leaders. I asked my chief nursing officer, can I just have some time on the next agenda? And I walked them through some art-based experiences to help them feel what it's like to be a patient because that was so impactful for me. And then also some hands-on touching things with each other and to to build community am- among the leaders. And that was really fun. And But then I was like, they need, they need more. We need to understand more. And so that's when I worked with um, some artists, Leah Bonfilio, who is an immersive theater performer out of New York City, and then Jad Tank, who is living in New York City at the time, who's an, also an amazing performing artist. And um, the three of us created First Do No Harm alongside Edith Wise, who wrote the script, co-wrote the script with myself. And so we created an immersive theater performance that took place in the hospital, and we opened it up to the public. And so they came in and they followed this story, this narrative told from the perspective of the patient's partner and the nurses. So really perspectives that you don't hear from very often in the hospital. And we walked them through what it looked like for nurses, what their shift was like. They did these monologues on compassion fatigue and burnout. And at the time it was very, gosh, nobody was talking about this. It was, there's a lot of stigma around our burnout and our, our wellness. And so that was the first step really raising awareness. So the nurses who came to see that they're like, wow, it felt, they told me I felt really seen. Thank you for sharing my story. I never had words before to really express what I was going through. And, and you gave me those words. So that felt really um, successful for them to acknowledge that. So it was always assumed that nurses never had compassion fatigue. It was just something that was never talked about. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because the work that you do as an artist and also the work that attracted you to being a nurse, I think what they have in common is empathy. Mm. And encouraging empathy. And I always think of artists as being great empaths. So it's interesting just to see those those two connections. You have so much on your plate. How do you keep your own well-being at the heart of what you do? How do you not burn out? I think self-compassion, because I mess up a lot. <laughs> <laughs> How so? How do you mess up? I just I I feel like there's uh, so many balls that I'm carrying and I drop them quite often. And it's about being in relationship with myself and others. And so that when I do drop those balls, I go and I say, I'm sorry, I dropped that ball. Um, And then it's 
you know, having that conversation. Are there too many balls right now? What can I, what can I get rid of um, or set aside for a moment? Um, who can I bring in to hold this for me because I can't? And I'm just recently experienced this with resiliency moments and was able to bring in a, pro- a program manager. I was doing, you know, getting the hospitals to sign on and you know, getting the contracts for that and at the same time implementing and hiring artists and bringing them in. And then it, it just, things were falling through the cracks. So I had to go back really to everyone and say, I'm sorry, I'm not able to do this. And we actually had a really great debrief with the whole team and where people are like, well, I would like to do this. I can do this. And it, then it also breaks down the hierarchy of me being the only one. Um, and so now we're looking at it more as a collaborative experience process where the artists are also holding these spaces that I once did. And then in I, the relationship with myself of like always checking in, is this too much? What, um, what can I offer over to someone who may be wanting this or needing this at this time in their life too, and that I don't need to hold on to it? Was that difficult? Was it difficult to let go of a little bit of control of your baby? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, it, and I think you'll hear this a lot with nurses. And I think this, it's a really interesting point that um, a lot of our burnout and fatigue, I think, is rooted in our need to control. Because mm. of us um, as nurses, we, we want, you know, these are our patients. We're in charge of them. We are the ones responsible for them. And so sometimes that means we're not going to go on a lunch break because we don't trust the, uh, that the other nurse is going to watch our patients for us in the way that we uh-huh. need to be watched. And so we've kind of, we've created a lot of this culture. I'm not saying we've completely done this because it's very much in the system, but we've also bought into this culture of, you know, I'm, I can be the only one to do this in that way of thinking, which leads to burnout. As you know, we're coming out of a year that was disastrous for so many artists, particularly performing artists. If you were to create a new kind of workshop or a version of resiliency moments that was targeted specifically to artists rather than healthcare workers, do you have a sense of what would that look like? Would it be at all different? Hmm. Um, That's a really good question. I think um, there's been something really beautiful about resiliency moments actually caring for artists at the same time. So it's the artists leading the moment for healthcare workers. But from the feedback, the artists are just garnering so much from being the one to create the space for, for others. And it because it is interactive, um, there's a sense of healing that goes back and forth. And it's that type of structure that I also think is missing in the hospital where we come in and we take care of our patients and yet the relationship can be missing where it's very one-sided. And so it's creating these spaces for real relationships to occur. So when I'm caring for a patient, if their story moves me, I want to sit and I want to cry with them. And I think that's okay. Not to the extent where they're taking care of me, but that I'm showing that empathy. And I think that's what, as you said earlier, artists are also empaths. So they're empathizing with healthcare workers and they're receiving at the same time. And so I think resiliency moments really was created for everyone. It comes from a a performance called you and me that I did. um, That was in person in 2007 that um, I did for many, many years and toured nationally and internationally to different locations. And it's about intimacy and having these one-on-one in-person experiences 
and and it was for everyone and everyone benefited and really enjoyed can it. Can you just can you describe you and me? I can. So it's um it's like a 3-hour durational performance that opens wow. with a big opening dance that usually was a duet between myself and one other person. When one of the performances we started at this this top of this mountain and so you could just see us really really tiny and then we ran down the the face of the mountain, stopped halfway and did a dance and then slowly made our way. And then we like swam in this creek to finally meet the audience. And so it was this playing with perspective and intimacy and how close can we get. And so there's an opening performance and then we know everyone who's coming ahead of time. So when, when everyone arrives, we make a big circle and we have, we have appointment cards with maps and when they say their name, we run and we give them a card with their name on it with an appointment and map. And then they go have these one-on-ones. They follow the map to where their appointments are. And it was really based, you know, in many ways out of the emergency room, like as I was working as an ER nurse, to go into these almost little clinic spaces, but yet they were curated and created by artists. And so similar to Resiliency Moments had these, these uh, short interactions with each other that were really profound in many ways, because I think they were... Uh, they were only five minutes long when we did them in person. So you had to really just jump right in. And then we had a sit down family style dinner on one long table and everyone ate together. And then there was a dance on the table afterwards. And so it really was in my mind, a little bit of what connection and intimacy and maybe even heaven would feel like, or feel like here on earth with people we don't necessarily know, but coming together to care for one another and it came out of um, my sister was really sick. She was in a coma for many months. And I was I moved into her rehabilitation room and um, bathed her and was her voice because she couldn't speak and came out of this just desire to bring back intimacy into our connections with one another. How did you find the time to, while working as, as a full-time nurse, to do such a demanding project as you and me? During that time, so I got my master's in dance and it was the end of my, and I worked per diem as a nurse. Well, um, I worked full time. So you got your master's of dance after you you became an RN? Correct. Yep. Oh, okay. And so then during that, I worked full time the first year and it was way too much. And so I went to PRN, which was wonderful. So I was able to focus more. And um, But it was my last semester of school and my sister got sick. And so I took a, I took that semester off and um, graduated later and came back. And, that, and You and Me was my thesis performance because it was after that experience. I, I just couldn't, doing a, a concert dance, stage dance, just didn't seem possible for me. I really wanted something more intimate based on what I had just experienced. So then when you and me, after I did, did it as my thesis, we decided to tour it and I continued to work per diem during that time. Has your own artistic expression at this point become kind of synonymous with the clinic and all its projects? Or do you find do you find you still need to find time and energy to work on your own personal art? Are they the same thing? They used to be, but as the clinic is growing and my um, my role has shifted, it just depends on the season. So I recently was able to film a bunch of um, short dance for camera that was based in resiliency for nurses, but it did feel like a lot of my own artistry in it. And that was really beautiful to see that blend happen again. But it had been a while, mostly because of COVID, because I had a, a, a show planned for a one-woman show for the fall called A Nurse's Calling. 
or I'm sorry for the spring. And now that's been put, pushed back to the fall now. So I'm trying, I, I try to hold those worlds together and make them blend as much as possible just for my own heart to be creating. Can you describe both A Nurse's Calling and then the short videos that you filmed? A Nurse's Calling is going to be based in a in an ambulance. And so it'll be a traveling performance that'll go in oh, wow. different communities. And really, it's um, sharing stories, sharing stories around burnout, around COVID, and also a call to action for our own accountability as healthcare providers, well, to everyone, but specifically healthcare providers and nurses as checking our biases and racism and health, knowing the role we play in health equity issues. It's been something that I've just been researching a lot and personally reflecting upon is, you know, in what ways do I uphold racism at the bedside with my patients based on personal biases or whatever it may be? And how do I participate it, participate in it with, you know, physicians who may say something. So for example, if I say, oh, I think this patient who happens to be black needs pain medicine and the physician may say, oh, well, that patient's always here, um, whatever the conversation is, but it's evident that he, he's going to be treating this patient differently based on right. bias experience, whatever it may be, racism, I don't know, but I have a choice in that moment to say, okay, and walk away and not give that patient pain medicine, which the research shows um, many of our black patients are not receiving as much pain medicine as white patients. I have a choice to say, okay, and walk away. Or I can say, you know, I really see this patient in pain. Can you please order him something and push back? There's a lot there. I think we're still unraveling. Um, so how does, the, how does the piece address that in an ambulance? I think it's um, it's telling that story. It's, oh. it's, you know, telling my stories, my experiences of, you know, seeing Black patients die in, in the emergency room and people saying, oh, and that's it versus like, well, what happened here? Was there something else that we could have done? And then watching that experience happen with a white patient, a very similar experience and, and having a very different response to it. And so it's really just telling the truth, telling the truth about what I've seen and what I've done myself um, and experienced and, and opening that up for people to tell their truth as well. It's so interesting that you say telling the truth. It feels like right now in this country, People are holding on to very different alternate truths, I think, especially around issues of race, like you're talking about. How can you, how can your work bring people together to one truth? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I don't know if there really is one truth. I guess I can just say I do know that um, well your work is based on research and facts so that that is one yeah, kind of truth that's true right and i think that's it's bringing that research to life through mm. storytelling and so laying the groundwork this is the research this is what is happening and it's not fake it's real and then and this is how i experience it in real time and then and then giving resources and this is what we can do to do things differently in the future. And a lot of the work that the clinic is doing in the in the future is also including anti-racism training for nurses and grief recovery for nurses. So they have this space to self-reflect as well on the ways they uphold racism. The tagline for the clinic is reimagining the future of nursing through the arts and performance. But I want to flip it. How could the future of the arts and performance be reimagined through nursing? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I love that question. I think it's it's a little bit what we're doing with resiliency moments on tapping into this empathy that you've talked about with artists and the connections that they can offer and the relationship and the the spaces, these intimate spaces that um, they can can create. There's been a really interesting training that we do with our artists that is based in nursing theory. And so they're learning all about see me as a person and relationship-based care, what nurses learn as they create these safe spaces between themselves and their patients. And so we put our artists through the, through those trainings where they come out with these tools of how to really truly see another person, connect with them, and use their art to be um, the driver for that. And it's really powerful. You're showing artists that they have it in themselves to be healers. Exactly. And I think in many ways they come out of that training saying, oh, look, this is all we, this is what we do. Right. <laughs> exactly. right. so it's not like I'm bringing anything fancy to them. It's like, this is already in you. It's just reminding you that this is so important and you have this ability. If you'd like to learn more about Tara and her work, please visit uncsa.edu slash art restart. I also want to let you know that Tara will be moderating one of our Art Restart virtual salons on September 1st, 2021. It is titled Creative, Vulnerable, and Well. It'll be a frank discussion between four artists about the psychological challenges they have faced and the strategies they have developed to maintain their mental wellness. Joining Tara will be San Diego-based painter and muralist Catafant, Toronto-based pianist and composer Frank Horvat and Boston-based hip-hop artist and Berklee School of Music professor Cliff Notes, all remarkable artists who've been very frank about their journeys through mental illness. Again, the salon will take place on Wednesday, September 1st, 2021 at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It's free, but you do need to register at uncsa.edu slash artrestart. Also, be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you won't miss our upcoming discussions with some amazing artist changemakers. I'm Pierre Carlo Talenti, and on behalf of the Keenan Institute for the Arts, thank you for listening.